Father God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and worshipful to you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is... Uh, well, good morning. Thank you. should wait for a response there, shouldn't I? Uh, my name is uh, Tex Bagley. I'm one of the deacons here at St. Thomas, uh, and I'm happy to be here and preaching this morning. And uh, I, I know that in Athens, Georgia, especially where we're located, we have a lot of pretty highly educated folks in this congregation. Uh, a lot of people that work for the university or other universities around town. So uh, this, this first kind of uh, might, not, might not stick out to you or might not uh, be of reference to you, but when I was in college, uh, I, went, uh, I was in uh, an English major, and I would get, the beginning of the class, I would get all these books, right? And you get these big, lots of books to read. Um, back when I was in school, there was a section, and they had these little yellow books with, uh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, the Cliff Notes. Yeah. So I would, you know, I'd use those, and Cliff Notes were kind of this, uh, they'd give you a, a, just the high points of the books, and they would kind of help you through the, the bigger books, and uh, you'd kind of get, you'd, if you read through that, you would be okay in class discussion. Now, I know none of you probably use those, but they sure helped me in college, and uh, I, this morning as I was reading the, uh, or I was, you know, preparing for, to preach, I'm preaching on the Romans passage, and I, I really think that it deserves a little bit of a Cliff's Notes version of what's come before it. Uh, because really, when we get to Romans 12, uh, Paul is uh, somewhat kind of uh, landing the plane. He, he's gotten to the last part of his letter, uh, and he's, in, in 1 through 11, he's, he's really presented this beautiful picture of the gospel. And really the, the text this morning even starts out in kind of, like I said, a somewhat of an odd way. He says, uh, now, uh, what did he say? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, right? And that word, therefore, uh, and if, if you hear that in any kind of writing or anything, I mean, that means that something's come before, right? And so what's come before is Romans 1 through 11, and Romans 1 through 11, and really the whole book of Romans, is, I would say, Paul's fullest and possibly at sometimes most complex uh, presentations of the gospel. And it is where we've, uh, you know, we've get all, a lot of Paul's doctrine. And if you've been paying attention, uh, like I know all of you have, over the past several Sundays uh, and throughout the summer, we've actually been reading through uh, Romans on Sunday mornings for our New Testament readings. And Father Daniel's preached on several sections. And to understand, though, I think what is going on in this letter, it's, it's good to understand what is going on in the church of Rome. You see, when the church was established in Rome, the Christian church, it was made up of, of Christian Jews and Christian Gentiles, right? It was, it, was a, it was a mixed group. And right after the church kind of started getting going, it was still small, the emperor of Rome, Claudius, actually expels all the Jews from Rome. And this included the Jewish Christians as well. And so you've got this period where all of the Jews and even the ones that were part of this Christian church were expelled from Rome for about five years until Claudius died. And so then the Jews come back to Rome after he dies and they find their church has been really taken over by these Gentiles, right? And they're just thinking, what has happened to our church? Uh, they were okay with Jesus, and they were, they, they were growing in their faith, but they've gone too far, 
the Gentiles, they're, they're not observing any type of dietary laws. Uh, they're not observing the Sabbath in the same way. The men are not getting circumcised, and they're like, hey, you know, what's going on here? And they are very upset, and they're fighting. And the church is really, uh, they're fighting with each other. And that's really where we kind of, that's where we enter into Romans. And, and Paul, what he's doing in all of Romans, he's trying to unify this church. And he's, unifying, he's trying to unify this church behind Christ and the gospel. And again, this is where, uh, like I said, just the real cliff notes, the high points. This is where we get some of Paul's greatest teachings about, uh, you know, God's righteousness and our sinfulness. Uh, justification by faith, not works. And because he's writing, like I said, to Jews and Gentiles, he's going back and forth to address both groups, right? And he's using all of Scripture. He's using a lot of Old Testament references. Uh, and several times, like I said, in his, his 1 through 11, he, he points out how Christ is really the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's the fulfillment of all these things. And it, again, he goes on to explain how uh, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer these two nations. God has created one people, right? And this is where we get this image. I think Father Daniel preached on this recently about the, the Gentiles being grafted in to God's family, right? So we've got this one covenant people. And, and what Christ has done for the Jews is the same as what he's done for the Gentiles. We, we have all been trapped in sin and Christ has saved us from that. He's brought us out of that. And that is where Paul is just pleading with this group of Christians, you, you have to understand this, right? You are all one. And that's where I think in, uh, like I said, chapter 12, he's, he's somewhat kind of landing the plane and he, and he goes from a lot of, uh, like I said, doctrinal kind of stuff to, to a lot of practical uh, theology is what I would say. And that's, I'm glad that I got to preach on the practical theology. Uh, and you know, he gets there and he says, uh, he starts it off. He says, I appeal to you, like I said, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And when we get to that point, this living sacrifice, when, when Paul's readers would have read that, I think they would see it the same way. We, it, it's an oxymoron, right? It's not a living sacrifice. What's, what's, a sacrifice is something that dies, Right? And they would have probably read that and thought, well, this is, this is odd. What, what is he talking about here? Uh, and, you know, again, like I said, this immediately sticks out to them and it would have stuck in, it sticks out to us as well. But I think it sticks out to his readers in a little bit of a different way than it sticks out to us. Because I don't know about you, but sacrifices, actual animal sacrifices, are not a part of my weekly, I don't see that on a regular basis, right? Uh, I don't walk down the street and see them sacrificing uh, animals at a temple. I, that's, that's, I've never seen that. But everyone that Paul is writing to here has actually participated in sacrifices. He's actually, and they, they would know what this actually looked like. They would know what it sounded like, uh, at times what it smelled like. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I grew up, uh, I, I grew up, I, I was, my family, we hunted and things like that. And so I remember, you know, from a young age, seeing uh, dressing large animals and, and uh, cutting them up for consumption. And it, it really can be, a, can be a messy process, right? It, it's bloody. Uh, it, it's, not, uh, it's not neat and clean. It's not like, our, uh, like your butcher shop that you go to and everything's sterile. And I think this is kind of where, you know, these, 
the, the people that Paul was writing to would have understood sacrifices in that way. It was a, it was a messy process. It was bloody. Uh, there, there's, again, if you read through the Leviticus uh, accounts of sacrificing, I mean, the, the priests are they're sprinkling blood everywhere. It's, it's wild. They're, they're blood on the mercy seat, on the altar, on the floor, and sometimes even on the people, right? And so it's, this, it's, this, uh, it's, it's really a kind of a physical and, and very uh, not clean affair. And I think that it's interesting that he uses that uh, term sacrifice and living sacrifice when he's talking about the Christian life, right? Because I think what he's getting at here is that this life that Christ has commanded us to is not going to be clean. It's not going to be pretty and pristine. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult, right? It's going to be a sacrifice. Uh, I, I read a long time ago, uh, actually looking at this passage, uh, some preacher once said that, you know, the problem with living sacrifices is that they will often try and crawl off the altar, Right? And that makes sense, right? Because it's uncomfortable. Who wants to be sacrificed? No one. No one wants to be sacrificed. That's why they had to tie the animals down to sacrifice them. Um, but that's what uh, I really, you know, Christ, we, we saw in Matthew as well. Uh, Paul is really echoing Christ here. Because Christ uh, he says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Forever he will lose his life, will find it right? Or whoever will uh, save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life will save it for my sake. Um, this is the same thing that Christ compelled his disciples to do, to lay down their life for him, lay down their life for the Lord. Uh, and being a sacrifice, being a living sacrifice, is this, it really is a continual surrendering of our will to the will of Christ. That's really what it comes down to, and that is what uh, Paul is pleading with these with these Christians to do, to lay down their wills, give up their life, and live a life that is devoted to Christ. And all throughout the New Testament, whether you're reading Paul, Peter, John, Christ's words, all of the writers of the New Testament, when you do this, there's one thing that we're guaranteed. We're guaranteed pain. We're guaranteed suffering. It's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. Uh, and, And with us, with our Christian life, we are going to be called to do things that we don't want to do. Uh, We are going to be called to be unified, to live in unity with people we disagree with. Uh, We're going to be uh, called to befriend those we don't want to befriend and to love those who we think are unlovable, to give grace to those we don't believe deserve it. Um, Oftentimes to forgive those who we don't believe should get forgiveness. But that's what Paul is pleading with these Christians to do. He is pleading with them to lay down their lives for one another, lay down and dwell in unity. And why? Why does he say to do this? Because of all those things he's talked about, one through 11, it actually is a reasonable thing to do, right? I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, that word spiritual in verse 1, it's actually uh, the Greek word, and I, I typically I stay away from Greek and Hebrew words, to be honest with you. Like I said, I use the cliff notes in college. Uh, but this one's pretty, this one's pretty simple. Uh, the word is actually logikos. 
right? The word spiritual there is actually logikos, which is, sounds like the word logical, and that's really what it is. That's, that's what that word is. And in other translations of the Bible, uh, I remember growing up in, New, in the King James Version, it was, uh, that was, I think it's translated reasonable or rational, right? It says, this is your reasonable worship. Laying down your life, giving up your life, being a living sacrifice is a reasonable thing to do. It's the reasonable way we should worship Christ. At this point, like I said, Paul is really appealing to these Christians' intellect, right? What Christ has done for you, how he has laid down his life, how he's bore our sins, suffered in our place, defeated evil, right? All of those things, how he's rose again. Because of those things, it really only makes sense. It's only reasonable that we would do the same that we would lay down our lives, lay down our wills for that of Christ. And, and it's, like I said, it's, it's not going to be easy, but there is good news. You see what Christ says there, there is good news. It is, it is different than the old sacrifice system. Like I said, this, this is an oxymoron, right? A living sacrifice. What's the big thing there? It's a sacrifice. It's not dead. A living sacrifice is not dead. And that's what Christ is actually promising right? He promised when he said that whoever loses his life for my sake will actually find it. And what a beautiful life it is. There are going to be pain points. There are, it is going to be uncomfortable at times, but this sacrificial life, if compared to uh, living without Christ, there, there is nothing compared to it and what we will find in Christ. It is really the only reasonable thing to do. And this reminds me of um, really Christ's uh, parables, right, uh, about the hidden treasures. You guys, you know those in the pearl, right? It says that uh, the man, he, he finds this uh, pearl, and it's this most valuable pearl he's, he's ever found. And then the man who, who found treasure, he found this field, and he knows that this treasure is buried in it. And what do they do? They sell everything. They give up their whole life. They sell everything that they have to acquire that pearl and that treasure. That's what Christ says we are to do as well. It is, it is reasonable. It is, a, it is a reasonable thing to do. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. You know, I mentioned uh, again, when we get to chapter 12, Paul is really, he is beginning this descent, Right? And uh, you can almost feel the shift when you read through Romans. And I did. I gave, I gave you somewhat of a Cliff's Note version, but I would encourage you to read through the whole letter of Romans when you have a chance, if you haven't. Um, but he, he's been pouring out his heart and his soul to these Christians in Rome. He wants nothing more for them, for the Christians in Rome to turn from the world and its corrupt ways, to turn from really their past prejudices against each other, and just to see what God has in store for them if they do. What is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. And Paul's heart here, I believe it's the heart of any good church leader. He wants God's people to work and live in unity. That's what he wants. And he begins to paint this picture of a unified church. And it really is a beautiful thing. He starts, uh, but before he does, before he does, actually in chapter 12, we're gonna get this, uh, we get this long list of, of how the church actually works together. But before he actually paints that picture, he says, we got to get one thing out of the way. 
If we're going to live lives of sacrifice, if we are going to uh, be guided by the Spirit and, and do and use the gifts that God has given us, we got to do one thing. He says, uh, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, here it is, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In essence, Paul is saying here, before we get going and, and are able to uh, really love and serve each other and serve the community around us, we have to do one thing. We have to humble ourselves. Humility really is the starting point to being used by Christ, being used by God, to laying down your life. That is where God wants us to start. You see, because no matter what the measure of faith God has blessed you with, here's the thing where it says in Scripture, it says God has done it. You, you didn't do it. It wasn't your. You, you are here because of what God has done for you. He's saying, humble yourselves. Know that. It's not because of what you have done, but what God has done for you. We are all one body. We have all been given different measures of faith, and we have all been give, given different gifts right? And if we do that, if we actually do humble ourselves, if we actually crawl on that altar, if we humbly lay down our lives and our wills to Christ and to each other, this is what it can look like. It's the desire of every church leader, like I said, any good church leader, to have a congregation on mission, the body working in unison. He says, if you are gifted in service, then serve, if you're gifted in teaching, then teach. If prophecy, I would argue you might want to talk to Father Daniel first, but prophesy, right? We do have these gifts. They have been gifted to us. The one who exhorts an exhortation in generosity, then give. If you, if gifts of mercy do so cheerfully. Lead with zeal. We have all been... I look out throughout this congregation all the time and I see what God has brought. And Daniel and I and the leaders of our church, we actually talk about this quite a bit. It is amazing the group of people that God has brought together at St. Thomas Anglican Church. We are humbled that God has brought you all here. And we know that you all are gifted in so many different ways. And the Lord wants to use those gifts. And he does, and I know that he is but what Paul is saying here is if we want to use that, we have to, we have to humble ourselves. And just like the church in Rome, we, we're going to have differences, right? There's going to be people in our congregation that really don't get along even. But when we, when we live this out, when we actually heed these words, when we humble ourselves, we can. We can serve each other. We can serve individuals. We can serve families. We can actually serve our entire community. Um, this is, uh, I'm going to kind of close a little bit with this illustration here. But this is, what's amazing about this church in Rome is that despite the differences, the cultural differences that that were around when this church started, despite what the, the fighting that they had, at some level, somehow, they actually did heed Paul's words, right? Um, and when Paul is writing this letter, like I said, the, the Jewish Christians have moved back into Rome. 
uh, because Claudius has died. The emperor has died. But if you know history or church history, uh, the emperor that replaces Claudius is Nero. And if you know anything about Nero, Nero is probably the most uh, horrific and notorious persecutor of the early church. And he becomes the emperor of Rome. And he, he does things to Christians. He tortures Christians. And he, it, it's a, it is, the way he persecutes the church is things that I, don't, I won't even talk about this morning. He is notorious. But despite this torturous reign of Nero, this church actually grows. This church coming together, being unified in Christ, this church grows and grows and grows and doesn't slow down. And within a couple hundred years, guess what? It takes over the entire Rome. It takes over the entire city and it replaces the religion of the day. That's the power of the church working together, being unified. Now I know that our church, I know that we're not going to experience the levels of persecution that uh, this early church did under Nero. I know that that's not going to happen. However, this just goes to show you the type of impact, the type of uh, what a church on mission, working together, all, be, all laying down their lives for that of Christ, what it can do. And people, we, I, I believe we are at a point at St. Thomas where I believe the Lord wants to do some amazing things through this church. I really, really do. And I am excited, like I said, about who God has brought and what he plans to do with this church. I believe that many people, I believe many, many people will come to faith through the ministry that comes out of St. Thomas. I believe that many people will grow in their faith. We are already seeing this happen. But I believe even beyond that, I believe the city of Athens can be impacted so strongly by our church. I really do believe that. And I'm excited about that. But for this to happen, for us to be on mission with each other and on mission with the Holy Spirit guiding us, using our giftings, it's a big thing. We have to lay down our lives. We have to humble ourselves. We have to crawl on the altar and stay there and allow God to work through us. We have to become these living sacrifices that Paul is talking about. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.